The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The most important thing about your business could be how your products are packaged. Packaging is the signature that you leave everywhere, and it speaks volumes about who you are and what you do. This is Ditch the Box with David Marinak. In today's show, we'll talk about marketing, increased sales, and how it relates to product packaging. Have you explored alternatives like flexible packaging? You should. It can save your company a bundle. Now, here is David Marinak. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Ditch the Box, the marketing slash flexible retail packaging slash how to build your brand radio show. I'm David Marinak, your host. As you know, our show is about marketing and flexible retail packaging with a few other related topics in between, such as how to build your brand, dealing with major retailers, and even supply chain. Today's guest is Terry Thompson of Feel Good Dough in Fricaccio's Bakery and Market here in Cleveland, Ohio. But before we dig into Feel Good Dough and Fricaccio's and learn what innovative things they're doing, we want to learn more about our guest as a person, their background, and what makes them tick. Let's learn more about Terry Thompson, the person. But first of all, Terry Thompson, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm did I, did I pronounce Fricaccio's correct? You did. Okay, good, because that's, that's pretty much how I've always referred to it, and I, we'll get into a little bit more about, um, it's, it's an iconic staple down at the West Side Market for our listeners who aren't aware, and we'll learn a little bit more about that in the West Side Market and, of course, your bakery, but there's so much more for us to really dig into. I'm, I'm excited to kind of learn more uh, about you, because you really are this, this vibrant entrepreneur. You start businesses all the time, and it's really, really cool to learn from you. Well, thank you. I yeah, maybe I'm crazy, but I enjoy doing it. So yeah. <laughs> so so tell me, are you a, a West Side Clevelander? Did you grow up in Cleveland? Is this where you you know you grew up and your family's from? Um, actually, it is. I grew up in North Homestead and um, moved around probably every county in the Cleveland area for forty years, and now I'm settled in Lakewood, Ohio. And you know, we've um, and for those of our listeners who aren't familiar. Um, Cleveland has a, um, what you call a west side and an east side, uh, as in other cities like a Pittsburgh has a South Hills and a North Hills or whatever, but there are clear, distinctive, um, you know, separators, if you will, or distinctive um, differences between west siders and east siders. And, and, and it's not good or bad, it just, it's just differences. And I, too, am a west sider, as we say, so together we can um, join and say west side, best side, correct, um, Terry? <laughs> correct. There you go. So, so fill us in a little bit about some of the, you know, we've got plenty of time to kind of get into some of your background and the different, the different companies that you've started and, and, and built and have grown. But I want to learn a little bit more about yourself. Now, um, was your family, tell me about the family, were you guys involved in the bakery business when you were kids? It, fill me in a little bit, but usually there's a pattern there. 
Actually, no. Um, huh. My mo- No, n- none of the above. My mother was probably the best cook in the neighborhood, and she never baked, and I became like the baker of the neighborhood because she wouldn't bake. So um, <laughs> I started baking cakes when I was eight years old from scratch and started selling them and then had a little cake business, and then I went from there to uh, getting married very young and um, decided I wanted a little more, so... I had another job and um, kept with that for about five more years and enjoyed that. It was a career, and I worked at Merrill Lynch and thought that was the direction I was going to go. And then our family came about, and I said, no, I want to stay at home, so I reinvented myself as a baker again and had a cake business, and I used to make all sorts of different cakes that weren't known to Cleveland back then and um, had a nice little following. And then thereafter, I decided I was done baking again. Wow. <laughs> I got through spurts. Oh, sure. Absolutely. <laughs> so um, I decided I wanted to stay home and still utilize some of the talent I had and learn something new. And so that's when I found Pampered Chef as um, one of the first thousand consultants in the nation it allowed me to grow in a different area that I had not been used to. And let's, and that let's was, dig in a little bit about that. I didn't interrupt you there, but I think it's important mm-hmm. to note that, you know, a lot of times, um, you know, companies, Pampered Chef is, if people aren't aware, Pampered Chef is not just some um, little fly-by-night organization. It's owned by Berkshire Hathaway, uh, which is right. Warren Buffett, I might add, for those that aren't aware. So, you know, he doesn't buy junk. Um, so, and if you're part of that, you know, Pampered Chef, and we've got a lot of friends and, and family who have been involved in it, it's a legit business. I mean, this is not some sort of a, you know, this is, you were, and, and you've been there for 25 years. So, um, you know, tell us more, what, what, what was it other than, you know, you were, you were a mom and you were trying to kind of dabble a little bit, I guess, at the, when you kind of first got into it, but now you're really, you're a director. So tell us more, uh... A, how you got involved and go from there. Well, yeah, truly it was just to earn a little extra money to pay for private school, and that's all I wanted it to be. And then about three years into it, I realized I really loved it, and it would offer me more than I could get from a regular job. So I pretty much became a steward of the business, called it my own Terry University, and learned direct sales inside and out. Took every sales course available. Now, I remember back then we didn't have computers, and we didn't have anything but little tapes that you could put in a, a player in your car. Right. So I was going to the library getting like Tom Hopkins and all that sure. and just trying to learn sales. And I found that um, to really make some decent money, you needed to build a team. And that was something that I had to learn how to do. It was not innate. And um, I built in probably those three years after, I went from one team member to almost 700. No kidding. And, yeah. And I um, enjoyed it. <laughs> I had a great time and I had great people and I got to travel around the world with Pampered Chef and just meet um, wonderful people. And there is, they always say that a company is good when it trickles down and, and the founder and owner, Doris Christopher, was that way. She It just trickled down and everybody felt very comfortable and wanted to help it builds big, and that's what we did. 
It, you know, and it's um, it's such an interesting it, it's it's interesting to look at um, if from a distance. You know, you're involved in it. You're knee deep involved in it, and I can hear that in your voice. As far as you know, here's here you are saying I don't have these skills because um, so often we've got listeners that are um, that are that are brand new to the business world. They are um, you know they've they've uh, taken a buyout at a at a company and just started their own granola brand. And then we also have listeners from other countries that have 500 to 1,000 employees. And my point with this is that, um, you know, you've done such a, you naturally knew that, hey, I'm not good at sales. I don't know how to build a team. Um, I'm going to reach out and whether I'm going to the, to, the, to the library or just start to ask people for help. Um, that's not easy to do, Terry. A lot of people will just kind of either flounder or just make the bare minimum to kind of get their discount with Pampered Chef, if you will. But I think there's yeah. something special about what it is that you did. You were like, hey, I'm in this to win it. Um, I'm in this to, to grow this thing, and I enjoy it. So I better learn the sales skills. I better learn how to build a team that can support me if I'm not there. And, and props to you. That's not easily done. Um, yeah, I think only 10% of... <laughs> A direct sales company will do that. I think that's the statistic. Um, I fortunately had the opportunity to watch Doris, the founder, grow her business. So she became kind of my little mentor in my head. And I listened to her as well. And I saw her becoming so well-respected in every aspect, from the direct sales association to, you know, every company writing about her and how she started this business with $3,000 and built it into this sellable company with Berkshire Hathaway. So, um, yeah, I mean, she was totally someone to watch. And, you know, obviously she was very blessed as well, but, you know, it was totally an opportunity that I just took advantage of. So. And you had said you were one of the first 1,000 consultants. Is it, did I hear that right? That's correct. Uh-huh. So, so how did you learn about Pampered Chef? I mean, what was it that kind of connected you back in those days? Um, actually, it was an ad in the Sun newspaper, which is a local little yep, newspaper sure. here. And yep. the, um, a consultant not nearby had started to want to bring team members on, too. And she said you know, this might be right up your alley. And I said, no, I really don't want to do direct sales. I think I'll look for another job, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then I just kind of put it in the back burner. And one day I was cleaning out a cubby and a little piece of paper popped out, Pampered Chef. And I'm like, well, maybe I should check into that. And then when I did, I, I immediately fell in love with it because the product line and then meeting Doris and, and then I wanted to start, but um, being a wise businesswoman as she was, she realized that the holidays were coming up, and she only had so much inventory that was paid for in her um, inventories of distribution, and wow. she put a hiring freeze on. So she couldn't hire any more consultants because she was afraid the sales would cause a situation of back orders and no product. So... Um, she put a hiring freeze on, which is very rare to hear in the direct sales business. Everybody's right. like, oh, yeah, join, join. So uh, I had to wait three months till after the new year. And when I started, I uh, was ready to go. So was it? Uh, yeah. You know, it, you so, mentioned something which I thought was interesting, you know, and so often we hear, and it's it's not just in direct sales. We've got companies, you know, one of the things that we're in our little world of flexible packaging um, one of the things that's interesting is is people comment that 
um, you know, we're able to, to, to deliver quickly and we have stock and we hold inventory or whatever. And there's so many companies and, and props to this, this gal for doing it back in, back when, before you even started to say, look, if I get a bunch of sales and, uh, and bring it on a Terry Thompson that all of a sudden just rockets our sales, but we don't have product to deliver. And um, now we've got irate customers because they don't get their, you know, their kitchen utensils and supplies that they wanted to buy. Now, all of a sudden, you've ticked people off. And again, that takes a lot of foresight to go, nah, I'm going to think big picture. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I learned very quickly from her is think big picture, but take the small steps to get there. It's not always the fastest person. So, um, and, and those small steps are what you learn from. So, Absolutely. Yeah. So, so tell us what yeah. does a director do, um, you know, versus you've got the planners or someone that organizes these get-togethers, if you will. Tell us what a director does. Actually, a director is nothing more than a regular consultant except for the fact that they manage a team. They hold regular meetings. They train. They um, attend uh, national events, things like that. But the one thing about direct sales, or at least with Pampered Chef, is that we are still always consultants right. first. So that's where we make our biggest chunk of money until you start building teams, and then that, and we only go down two lines. So it's not like a multi-level marketing as well. So right, and again, at the end of the day, I mean, we've got a kitchen full of these products, and they're all you know, and they're always coming out with innovative things. I mean, it's it's a very cool setup. Um, and the products are solid. I mean, that's what I said before. When Warren Buffett invests in a company, um, you know, he's not buying junk. And you guys are known to have really, really good product. But it's also kind of, it's interesting. I love to spend time um, before we really dig into your core businesses, if you will, or other businesses, not right or wrong. It's just, there's a lot of stuff, Terry, that you can almost see these patterns, if you will. You can almost see um, where you've learned and, and kind of grown uh, based upon the, um, the steps that you've taken. I mean, you know, you're learning a ton. You jump into this, um, you know, hey, I don't know anything about sales, but I'm going to learn about it. I'm going to build a team and, and I'm going to, you know, I guarantee you folks that what we're going to learn as we dig into your market, um, as we dig into your bakery, uh, and then we dig into your new venture that all that stuff kind of came together and is coming together. You know, there's a, it's, it's all kind of makes sense if that, I don't know if that's making sense, but whatever. No, it totally makes sense. It's, yeah, it's totally what you've learned in your past can move you forward. And, and I do pull a lot from my past and what I've learned. So, um, it, it does. It relates. I think direct sales is probably the best training anybody can go through if right. they take it from the hobby to a real job, um, because it does train you for anything else in your life. Yeah, and without question. On, on, yeah, even if you're going to do the corporate world and not going into an entrepreneurial business, um, corporate people... Corporate people love people that have direct sales business because they have all the marketing skills, they have communication skills, they have a lot of skills that a person sitting in an office normally doesn't get so no they're gonna be they're gonna be you know in the office uh, environment they're gonna be pigeonholed they're gonna be doing this you know this whatever this is in that little box they're gonna be doing that and that's it 
Um, mm-hmm. but when you're, but you know, you're handling so many different things, the, the marketing and the sales and being face to face with customers, potential customers and traveling to these, these conventions and shows and learning about new products. And you, you really do have a well-rounded foundation, um, which is a good segue into Focaccio's, the market, um, at the West side market. And for those, um, that aren't familiar with Cleveland, there's this iconic indoor and outdoor marketplace for fresh foods and produce in Cleveland. And it's one of those must stop. Uh, places if you're either a lifelong resident or if you're new to the area. So, so tell us how you got into having a, a, a store, uh, a little store, a little kiosk, if you will, uh, a stand. Uh, I don't know what they call them at the West Side Market because it's really a staple down there. So tell us more about that. Hmm. Okay. Well, I was a shopper of the West Side Market for years, and I always loved it. I mean, because I love food. So sure. it just always made me feel <clears> good when I left there and I just felt like I had a good deal and I met some great butchers and loved the relationship between what you got between the the stand owner and the purchaser. So um, one day, well, probably, I don't know, about 12 years ago, uh, I was getting like Love Pampered Chef, but I need something new in my life and maybe something that can turn into a retirement job if I left Pampered Chef. So I I asked my husband at the time, I said, you know, what do you think about something like a, a food business down at the market? And he and we then we both looked at each other and we go, you never get one of those because they're usually handed down family to family to family. I was going to say, ex- was there actually a spot there? I mean, is that something that, what was it that made you even think that? I don't know. I just thought, I thought, why well, would it be really cool? Because they're only open four days a week. What a perfect right. cash business. Not bad, you know. Yeah. And, um, and, I, and I was creative with food, so I thought, well, I'll just put whatever I want in that stand. So, anyway, sure enough, you know, be careful what you ask for. Because sure. months later, he's reading in the paper, there's a stand for sale down there. I'm like, what? So I'm like the first person to call, first person to go down there, and it was the pizza <laughs> pizza bagel stand. Of course, the guy told me I had 100 million phone calls, but, you know, I was number one, so he was going to give me the opportunity first. I said, okay, so pizza bagels, I have no clue what that means. You know, I never bought them when I was down here, but um, I just feel like i got to buy this stand. So we ended up buying it, and... Oh, that was an adventure. <laughs> yeah, so let's stay there with that because that, that too takes a tremendous amount of courage. So Fracasio's was this existing, and I didn't even know they did this, to be honest with you. So they, so these stands there, you, you own the, the rights to the stand. So, so it was an existing business at that particular point that you guys had kind of purchased. Is that, is that right? That's correct, yeah. And take us through some of that. And I mean, one of the things I think it's really important is, and we'll talk about this later in the show, is, excuse me, some of the bumps and bruises along the way. It sounds like you had a couple there with Fercasios. Tell us how you kind of really worked your way into that. Um, two of the biggest bumps and bruises was is finding a supplier that could make the pizza bagels because I found out later that I bought a bad business. Ooh. Yeah, um, there was not a following like I was told. Um, right. A lot of the customers saw a new face behind the stand and honestly came up to me and said, you know, these are okay, but they aren't what they used to be, you know, and this kind of stuff. So I said, and I, w- I literally went home crying. I was wow. just like, oh, my goodness, what did right. I just do? What did we do, right? Yeah, um, how can we re- rebuild this? Is it really for me? Do I have the energy, blah, blah, blah. So... Um, we started searching bakeries around Cleveland area and see if they could, you know, 
make them for us. Well, of course, they can't fill um, that into their already stuffed schedule of baking items. It's not something that a lot of bakers can do. Right. So we found a family member of the original one, and they started baking for us, and it worked out great, except for the fact that I had no control over it. And I was paying someone to make it, but I wasn't feeling good still about how it was being sold. And it just didn't fit. You know how it just doesn't feel right? Yeah, you just know something's just not just not clicking, um, and it's there's something wrong, but you don't know what it is. Right, and it could have been as simple back then as the fact that it wasn't my own. I really right. was just a clerk, basically. I was selling somebody else's product they made, and I was standing there as a clerk. I didn't have a lot of heart into it, and that bothered me. So um, I told my husband, I said, I really would like to find a place to make the bagels. And he was, you know, yes, you have to do this, you know, because you need to control this, and if you want to grow it, blah, blah, blah. So it took us about a year to find a place, and we found one in Fairview, and it took us another little while to find a bagel machine and start building it. Well, then I realized I didn't have a recipe. (laughs) I'll be done. (laughs) I know. So, a lot of guinea pigs at the West Side Market. <laughs> well, it, it, and it's just, it's it's always fascinating. That's why I love these, because, uh, because um, you know, it, we're curious at heart. All of us are, not just you and me, but we're curious. And and that's how people learn is by just kind of winging it. And I mean, and, and I that's why I was so excited to interview you, because you just are that, you've got that drive and that spirit to kind of, most people, Terry, and I mean this in all respect, most people would probably quit and just say, oh, the hell with this. Let's sell this thing for whatever we can get for it and get out of there. Here you are going a million different directions going like, well, I got to find somebody to make them. And if they're not making them to my quality or what I like, then I'm going to I'm gonna find another place. I'm going to do it myself. Um, and, you know, it, it's not, that's the American spirit right there, Terry. That's fantastic. Well, thank you. Thank you. Sometimes you don't realize what you have inside of you. I don't think we all realize where our God-given talents are sometimes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And maybe that is what keeps me going. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. yeah. And it's and it's really, really cool to, to kind of watch you just do your thing. You're, you're working your magic. So tell us, so, so that, so you had this old family member of Fricaccio's that, that was making the pizza bagels for you. You didn't feel comfortable with their quality or, or whatever it was. And now you're looking for another place, and you found them in Fairview Park, which is another a suburb of Cleveland. You found somebody to make them for you, or did you just start making them for yourself? Tell us how that connection is. Um, I started making them for myself because I wanted something that I would feel good standing behind the stand and saying, here, here's something I made. Right. You know, enjoy. Just enjoy. Yeah. And so um, a lot of trial and error. Um, I invited flower men from salesmen all the way through to some of the high top people at GM to help me decide which kind of flour to make to sauces to everything. And um, after about two to three months, um, I thought I mastered what I want. I even took samples down to the market and gave them to customers. Says, am I getting close to the original recipe that you're used to from, you know, many, many years ago? Yeah, right, right. You know, I mean, I just tried everything. So um, it took two to three months, and I mastered it. And I was very pleased with it so that the customers were happy, and I found that that um, through that, because I was putting my heart and soul and my love into that product, 
people were recognizing it. And I started seeing a lot of attention. Um, you know, the news people, media, um, newspapers, um, they were all asking me questions and wanting to know more. And, and um, stay you know, with it for a second. What were they, because you, that's where this, and when I, when I mentioned earlier, this, this staple or whatever it was, I think of Fricasio's, it was, it was frankly, that's what I think of, you know, after you got involved down there, because that's what made it this, this kind of, um, this, this vibrant business that it is. But what were people in the, in the media, were they interested in just that, you know, here's this lady that's, that's kind of, um, just trying new things and testing new things. How was it that the media was, was attracted to you? You know what? It's, it was a story. It's just Got a story. Um, yep. Yeah. And just the story of how it started and what I'm doing and how much people love them. And I, again, I, I used to joke. I used to say that the pizza bagel has more notoriety in, in this country than it has its own following. I didn't yeah. do anything, but it, it just itself would say, you know, and people would laugh because they're like, yeah, it does. I mean, it just wants to be in the highlight of life, I guess. So, um, yeah, so I ended up baking for um, uh, one of our presidents, and it was on the Food <laughs> Network and the Cooking Channel. And it's so cool. Anywhere it went, yeah, we, we even uh, have um, a holiday we've named in Cleveland. It's called National Pizza Bagel Day, and we claimed that, and... Food trucks, bars, restaurants, retailers, they all take them in for one weekend and they sell them or get creative with them. Um, we've, we've done so many things with them on that day. So, um, uh, and then I, then, to make it even funnier, um, I actually got a patent on them, which is very unheard of in the food industry. Okay. So, we're going to take a break at that because I've got to learn more about this. How do you even go about getting that? That's fantastic. Folks, we're talking with our friend Terry Thompson. Stay tuned. Uh, We're going to be right back. Thanks. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You count. Tune into Interrevolutionary Radio and join the spontaneous wave of people all over the planet who, like you, are changing our world from the inside out. Follow the movement. Meet guests who are shaking things up. Call in and gain insights and courage to empower your own voice. Large or small, your part counts. So join us. Co-hosted by Beth Green and James Maynard, Interrevolutionary Radio airs live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. A wave of change is happening in our world now. A new feminine way of leadership is emerging. Yet this is not about women taking over. This rise of the feminine is helping men too. Join host Gina Lazenby, award-winning businesswoman, best-selling author, and speaker on feminine wisdom as she reports on the rise of the feminine with inspiring stories of women who are coming into their own and finding their unique purpose. Tune in and join this conversation in the rise of the feminine each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. 
Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts, we'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. If you are interested in real estate in America's largest city or anywhere, be sure to listen for Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Although our focus is on Manhattan and other real estate markets in and around New York City, we'll have plenty of information that will help you successfully buy, sell, and close a transaction no matter where you are in the world. Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco can be heard every Tuesday at 9 a.m. in New York, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Ditch the Box with David Marinak. If you would like more information about our program, send David an email to david at standuppouches.net. That's david at standuppouches.net. Now back to Ditch the Box. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Ditch the Box. We're talking with our friend Terry Thompson with Focaccio's Market. Uh, and also, we're talking with her about our newest venture we'll get to here shortly uh, on her fresh dough business. But, Terry, take us through right before the break. Um, you were telling us that you this, this pizza bagel business just kind of kept evolving and you streamlined it and you, and you kind of uh, perfected it is probably a better word. And now you've gone so far as to file a patent on a pizza bagel. Did I hear that right? That's correct. Yep. <laughs> so um, that's fantastic. How do you go about doing that? And I, I would love to be a fly on the wall to the attorney when you sit down with a patent attorney and say, I want to patent the pizza bagel. Um, but knowing you like I know you, nothing is impossible for you. So tell me what that was like. Um, that was interesting, too. Um, I sat down with him, and I told him I have this food product, and he said, well, honestly, um, it usually food does not get patented because it has to have a unique procedure that is different than what anybody right. else out there can do. And so you have to take your recipe and show them step by step. And um, the first time they denied it, and he fought it back, and... And they denied it again, and then we re- redid one of the little things to show that we tweaked it enough, and that's that's how we did it. So, do you? <laughs> um, you're so cool. Um, I know I've said this a hundred times, but you're like the coolest lady. Um, so, <laughs> when you have this patent now on the pizza bagel, and following the instructions that that you know the U.S. Patent Office or whatever it is is kind of giving you. What do you do with that? Is it is it something? Do you enforce the patent? Do you is it is it a you know what do you do with it at that particular point? Basically, it was more to protect the recipe. Um, nice. Because nice. It, yeah, basically it was that to protect that. Also for competition, um, namesake, anything that comes with that. So um, we didn't want, okay, well, this pizza bagel is becoming so popular in Cleveland, and then all of a sudden you see another bagel company, and then another, right. you know what I mean? Right. So we really wanted to protect what's at the West Side market as well, because it is a um, staple. 
It's a, it is a staple. You took the word right out of your mouth. I mean, it's a, it is a staple. And, and, and I got to tell you, now you bought, you bought the, the, the stand for Casio's. It was already in existence, the, the stand and the name, correct? No, we added the name. Okay, so where, that's, yeah. it's a great segue. So tell us about the name for Casio's. Uh, well, our last name is or was Frick, um, yep. so we yep. thought uh, add Accio, and it makes it sound Italian. So, um, well, and, also, and, 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 and I love that because that's kind of where I was going, and I think it's a you know again it's a and I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I, I just get so excited every time you mention <laughs> something because when I hear a word like Fricasios, um, just like when I hear the word Smuckers, um, it sounds delicious. It sounds good. Um, and you guys are spot on to kind of like go down that road. I mean, people spend hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars for marketing tests and you and your um, your, your former husband or and family and friends kind of put this together and you did it without even having to pay for a focus group on this. And, and, and again, props to you, Terry. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Picasso <laughs> sounds say, awesome. I mean, it's just like, I just want to go, I don't know what they make. I just want to go eat it. Fricasio's. I mean, it could be a restaurant. It could be a stand at the West Side Market. They could make pizza bagels. It doesn't matter. They, it just sounds really yummy. I'm sorry. I digress. That's okay. That's all right. So let's go back but, to the um, early days. Okay. At the West Side Market, um, you know, was it always the plan? You know, once you kind of got this thing on solid ground, if you will, you know, was it a plan to kind of get into the fresh dough or pizza? I mean, it, it, it's interesting to hear how successful companies like yours have have pivoted over the years. I mean, take us from the pizza bagels into um, into what it is now. The pizza bagel business right now, or the new business. Well, no, what I want to take you is is from these. So when you started out with the with the um, Fricasios at the West Side Market, your staple there was the pizza bagels. But now you're also into fresh dough there, correct? You also sell some other things at your West Side Market, um, the hoagies, and you've got some subs, and that's kind of blossomed into a, a, a more than just the the pizza bagels. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, well. We found that people were coming up for pizza bagels to take home, but right. there wasn't a good sandwich at the market. Yeah, there's traditional sandwiches that have been there for years, but there wasn't just a regular a style Italian sandwich. So our Italian sub we're really known for. But currently, um, we've decided to really morally, mostly highlight our pizza bagel. So we have a, a sandwich called the Chicken Saucy Bagel. And that was the one on Pizza Masters on yep. the Cooking yep. Channel recently, and it's it's delicious. I mean, people will buy them and take them home and eat them up later. People eat them there. It's just a really nice piece of chicken, fresh mozz, fresh tomatoes, fresh basil, and we make a garlic mayo um, specialty sauce that goes on it. So um, that's becoming a very popular item now at the West Side Market. And then we have these hot top bagels, and uh, we just top them with three different toppings, and people, again, take them home or, you know, we heat them up there as well. Now, the fresh dough, um, we do sell pizza supplies, and that came up um, probably eight years ago. I found since we were Italian and we had pizza bagels, well, people were looking for dough down there and yep, pizza yep. supplies, so we started adding that along with it. <clears throat> And um, our fresh dough was, you know, delicious, and it was wonderful, and 
we made par bakes out of it for people to take home if they didn't want to use it. They, they were like, well, I don't know how to do this. So we started making par bakes, and then that started taking off at the time, too. So, so that's basically our lines. We um, have fresh pepperoni rolls that we make there. So we're trying to keep them more Italian, but still keep the pizza bagels the highlight or the focus. And you've done some stuff with fundraisers. I mean, you've gotten created there as well. I mean, you guys can do, use Fricaccio's at the West Side Market. That's also kind of the ground central for fundraisers too, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. We've helped a lot of schools, preschools, women's groups, um, Cleveland State, some of the kids have to raise money there. I mean, we've, we've helped a lot of different groups. It's, it's like a bake sale, but it's pizza bagels. Well, exactly, and that's what's such so clever about it too. Is I mean, instead of the Mally's chocolates, which are another local companies, or chocolate bars, or car washes, or some of these other things that people come knocking on the doors, um, the pizza bagels are just brilliant because who doesn't like a pizza bagel? You know what I mean? I know, and the the fun thing with the pizza bagel too is this is school time. Everybody's going back to school. It makes the perfect lunch for a kid. Sure um, does. It really does. I mean, you get three for five dollars, so you. Put them in your freezer, pop one out every morning, wrap it up, and put it in their lunchbox. It's ready to go by the time, you know, lunch comes around. And kids love them because they've got the pizza t- taste, but they're light and fluffy and yeah, and, and, messy. The, and the moms love them because they're easy in the morning when we're always getting up late and running out the door. And you can, yeah, I, I hear you. Mm-hmm. So yeah. let's dig into Fricaccio's Bakery now. How did that come about? And that was that was 2012. I mean, fill us in a little bit more on how that second um, business um, started. Okay. <laughs> uh, that one. <laughs> I'm sure there's a story well, there. Well, once you rent a space, sometimes if all you're making is pizza bagels and a few other items for the Westside right. Market, you thought, well, how else can I utilize this space and, and make money? So um, we started making breads. And we, instead of regular breads, we started making artisanal breads. And then instead of artisanal breads, we started making organic breads. And then we started doing farmer's markets. And we started selling to different um, specialty shops, restaurants, things like that. And um, that one, we only keep a few of our customers now because we're focusing on our new adventure. But um, that was, that one I just, didn't want to go further with because I knew that I needed to get another location. Yep. And it just didn't make sense to me. So, um, that bread baking, or where should I say good bread baking by right. hand, you can't get the, the, the margins out of it. Interesting. And, and so that one, it, you're right. And that becomes almost a bloodbath after a while um, where you, if you're not making any money out of that, I mean, there's, there's no sense even continuing. Right. It's, it's an expense by the time you put a big oven in and hire bakers. And it, it, it was looking like, yeah, like I was not going to go higher. I was going to either stay the same or if I lost a baker, then that would just be, you know, worse. <laughs> Yeah, the the death knell. Exactly. Well, it's a it's a it's a really good segue into the really the meat and potatoes anyhow because I really want to talk about your feel good dough um, okay. because that's really where you've 
you've you've now kind of stepped into that world of the fresh dough business and fresh organic dough. And and folks, I'm going to kind of share a little bit um, more about this that um, that Terry was grateful enough, or I'm grateful enough to get from Terry. Um, Feel Good Dough is teaming up with Red Star Yeast to use its specialty yeast, the first American-made 100% organic yeast in its Feel Good Doughs. Terry has long been committed to producing clean food, and prior to the production of Red Star's specialty yeast, she had to seek out German-made yeast shipped in at a much higher cost and longer turnaround time. Now, Terry insisted on 100% organic, including the yeast. This is not a common practice for many manufacturers. They are made with or 90% of, but Terry chose to be not like anyone else and have 100%. These yeast will allow feel-good dough to continue to be 100% clean, giving their customers only the best clean product available. Now, they're going to be one of the first companies to use organic yeast made in the USA. Feel-good doughs are all-purpose, unlike others, and have many uses from dinner to dessert. They're freshly frozen and can be used to make Everything from calzones, crusts, pot pie, garlic knots, and more. Varieties include roasted garlic, Italian herb, cracked black pepper, chocolate, stone ground whole wheat, market natural, oil-free grain, and rosemary and dill. Feel Good Dough presented their brand new homemade doughs at this year's Fancy Food Show in New York City. That was back in June, and they're also going to present at the Expo East, the Natural Products Expo East, I should say, in Baltimore, Maryland in September. So... Let's dig in a little bit more about that. What's the big deal, Terry, about this USDA certified organic dough? Um, I think the big deal is is that there's no one that wants to commit to being 100% clean. Right. And I say that only from a profit, from the profit end, okay? Um, Now, being a small startup company, uh, that's what I wanted to start with right away. And maybe it was a gut feeling for me, but right. everything in there is 100% clean. So that means I'm stopping. That is like the highest tier in the food world right now. Take us, take us uh, a little bit, dig in a little bit more about that. And, and, I, and I mean this, and, and when I said what's the big deal, I didn't mean that to sound slighting, but any, any stretch. It's a, it is an important part, and I, and I know that there's got to be a differentiator. But you've mentioned a few times clean. What's the word clean mean when it comes to baking and food? Okay, um, clean means that everything, there's four ingredients in there, and all of those are certified organics. Um, that when you are certified, you can go 100%, you can go made with, or a certain percentage. And the lower classes would be made with or a certain percentage. There's very few companies that are 100%, and I'm probably one of 10. Wow. No kidding. <laughs> so, yeah, and I don't even know if it's even one of 10. It could be even less than that. But, is it is it um, because it's more expensive or it's harder to control the quality or because the you know the products are difficult to you know to uh, source tell us why so few companies are in that world and I think it's awesome don't get me wrong I just would love to know why so few companies do it um, because of profits um, if you can buy uh, my yeast cost me went from Germany fifteen dollars a pound Wow yeah. So when you're starting to throw that in with all the other organic prices of your ingredients, plus, you know, getting it out to the real world, it's very costly. And if you 
look at some of the big companies, they're based on profits. Right. So it, it, and whether or not it's what they believe in or not that I can't say, but I just decided if I was going to offer organic and I was going to offer something that was all the way and I'll take a lower margin on it and hopefully people will appreciate it and buy it and, and see and taste and feel the difference. So, and so far, I'm doing okay. Well, and, and again, that's, and this kind of just is that pattern that we talked about at the very beginning of the show, because this is who you are. I mean, you're going to stand up for your principles. This is what you're all about. And um, you made that line in the sand that said, hey, 100% organic dough is an important thing and people will pay for it, um, or you think that they're going to pay for it. And you're, you know, like you said, you're hanging on. It's a very new startup. It's a startup that's only been in existence for a short period of time, but you've had some great traction. You're making some good strides here. Um, you know, it, it, what drove you at that time? You know, a lot of times something happens uh, to somebody and they just, you know, I don't care whether it's a life-threatening thing or, but what was it that, that drove you um, to get into that kind of, you know, fresh frozen um, uh, dough? That's, uh, you know, what was it that, was there something that you just saw a need to fill? I mean, what was it? Well, I don't know if it was so much a need to fill. It was more of a gut feeling. And sometimes you have to go with your gut. And, and I always hear people say, well, I don't know why or how or whatever. But if you listen to yourself, sometimes you kind of figure out what you want to do and what you want to provide. And and also, um, at this point, I'm a grandmother. So right. um, I wanted to maybe leave something that left a mark in the world. I don't know. Um, maybe I'm at that point in my life. So um, also... When I see people eat my product, they come back to me and they say, oh, my goodness, I am not having a digestive problem. I have IBS or I have this or I have that. I'm not feeling that with yours. Um, Some people are so, like my daughter is so allergic to bleached wheat that she gets panic attacks. Um, You know, there's there's so much crap in our food, and I'm I'm being realistic, but... There is so much out there that we don't know what's thrown in right. that I just wanted to provide something that was totally 100% clean, and and I'm glad I went with my gut because now the food industry is, is they're coming down at them left and right. I mean, non-GMOs, Obama just signed another um, <coughs> bill, you know, that our labeling has to be, you know, and there's just so much. So I don't have to worry about it. <laughs> well, yeah, and you, and again, you, you, you had that choice, and and again, like we try to teach our kids, it's it always, at least we do in our world, it it always comes down to money in some way, shape, or form, um, uh-huh. and and the fact that you stood up on your principles and said, yeah, it's going to cost me more, I'm probably going to lose margin initially, I'm probably not going to be able to make as much, uh, but it's something you can feel proud of, um, and like you said, this is something that you could quite possibly leave a legacy of of starting this new trend. Um, you know, again, not a lot of people, Terry, are, are going to do that. They're going to, they're going to just, they're just going to go, nah, I can make more money, go 80%, 90% and be a, you know, but props to you, girl. You just kind of keep doing it. Thanks. Tell Thank me a little you. bit about your experience at the fancy food show. Now I've, I've spent my time at fancy food. Um, it is a massive, massive show. Um, I'd love to to hear what your thoughts are and 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 how that worked out for you. And I know you've got an upcoming show in Baltimore, but I'd love to hear what your take was on the fancy food show. 
uh, being my first fancy food show, I really was impressed. Very, very impressed with the um, customers, the clientele. The yep. I mean, anybody that walked past the stand was um, a good potential for someone who did not know who would stop, <laughs> who right. would take the time to notice. Um, I thought we did really, really well. Um, we we hit some really big um, people, and we also got a lot of people that were writing about us now, a lot of bloggers, a lot of people that are interested in distributing us, as well as brokers, as well as, um, I mean, the list goes on. So it was There's, very, very good for us. And there's so many, and and for those that aren't aware, you know, the food business has all these different segments, like you were saying, the blogging and the marketing, um, and those people that kind of do this deep dive consistently on not just the food, but the ingredients for the food, and the bakery of the food, and the ingredients to the ingredients, or the suppliers of the ingredients. It's just, it just kind of keeps going at different levels. And the Fancy Food Show is this massive show. You can get lost in there. And I was glad that you said, no, it was a great experience, because I've heard just the opposite when I've gone there, and I see you know, this small little company that put a big chunk of change down to be saddled in the, the basement of one of these buildings, and nobody came by to see them. Um, but I'm glad you had a good experience because I always thought that um, if you have the right product, people are going to find you. And it sounds like you had that experience. I did. I did. And so many people said, well, you're different. You, yeah. you are what, what we need. Right. Because they're hearing, whether it's like a grocer or a distributor, they're hearing it from their customers that they need this product on their shelf. Right. Exactly. So they were happy to find us there. Whether or not they knew about us previous to that or not, they were happy. Like, oh my gosh, you are so different. <laughs> yeah, and, and tell us how so, are you going to get that word out about how different you are? How are you? What other kind of marketing and sales do you have? A sales team? Are you going? I know we've got the the upcoming show, which is the Natural Products Expo in Baltimore, which is smaller than the big granddaddy of them all out in Pasadena or wherever the other one was, but or Anaheim. But tell us about you know um, what other ways are you getting the word out about your your little company? Um, good question. Uh, PR has been good to us as well. Um, we were at that show. Um, several of the large health magazines are writing articles about us now. Um, also, too, we have uh, um, the Red Star coming up. They're going to yep. tag us as well. Good, good. And, yeah, um, we also have what I consider um, a great group of bloggers yep. that are getting the word out for us, too. So those are our three major things besides social media. Um, we are very lucky that I find that right now um, our name is, and maybe it just feels more like recognition, but now people are noticing us. They're recognizing our brand name. I have emails every day from people saying I found you <laughs> right right <laughs> you exactly. know and I'm like right. you found me um, yeah, if you're not right. familiar <laughs> but um, I think also to our logo is fun it's, yep. it's a big smiley face and says feel sure. good dough and it has like I said I started it with a gut feeling and what I found that when people eat this they do feel good so in their gut so kind of you know, kind of a pun on words, but 
it is it is what it is, and people are very happy. Well, uh, and you got and you got out there. Yep, and you got it. You got it going on. So as we kind of get to the tail end of the show, I. I, I, I want to ask, and, and I and I know I could throw this this in there. When you sit back and look over your life, um, you know what are some of the things you're most proud of? I mean, you, you've you've helped so many people. Um, now you really got this vibrant little business that that I believe is really going to take off. Um, you know, what are some of the things that you're really proud of? Hmm. I guess I'm proud of the fact that I've been blessed enough to take whatever talents are inside of me and just not fear. Yeah. You know, I don't have a fear in me. I can honestly say that you can fail your way to success, but it does take that first step. Um, And I also feel that I've taken a lot enough small steps in my life to get to where I'm at today. So don't feel like your first small step is the only step you're going to take because just keep walking. Just take small steps. Keep walking, and that's how I always felt. You know, yeah, I'm and that's reading, and everything walking. you do continues to show that. Because there's one thing to talk about that, uh, but looking back over your career, you don't just talk about it. You just go out there and do it. And that's the, That's one of those things that I'm. I'm really proud to have gotten to know you too, because you're you're one of those examples to a lot of us out here that that just just get up and do it. Don't talk about it. Yeah. Don't don't worry about it. Um, tomorrow's a new day. Regardless, just go out there and do it. Fair? Fair. Yep. Well, yep. pal, I hope you'll come back and share with us what's going on. I want to keep in touch. I want to make sure that we learn more about Feel Good Dough. And folks, to learn more, it's feelgooddough.com or 440-227-6073. Terry, once again, this is a thrill for me. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Enjoyed it. I'd like to... I'd like to thank my executive producer, or our producer, Jamie Berling, executive producer, Winston, Winnie Price, and you for listening. Until next time, remember, packaging is the voice of your brand. What is your packaging saying? Think about it. See you, everybody. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Ditch the Box. We're live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please join David Marinak for another great show next week. again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the voice america variety channel for more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest please visit voiceamericavariety.com the voice america talk radio network is the worldwide leader in live internet talk radio visit voiceamerica.com the views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 